Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Do you want to save money at the grocery store, eat more organic, whole foods, cultivate food security, and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food, and I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the grow your own food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Sherry McLean to talk about soil and plant testing. Sherry was interested in science and how things worked from a very young age. She was fascinated with paleontology in middle school and even participated in archaeology digs with a local museum. In high school, she loved geology and marine biology, which led her to the University of San Diego, where she obtained a major in marine science with an emphasis in biology and a minor in environmental science. Upon graduation, she worked for environmental labs learning new and analytical techniques, and her thirst for science knowledge grew. Sherry was planning on pursuing a career in marine mammal rescue and habitation. However, her undergrad studies caused her a change in her career path. 
she decided to learn more about soil and plant science, a topic of interest from her undergrad coursework. She went to work for IAS Laboratories and studied under Dr. Paul Eberhardt for many years. Sherry has been working in the agriculture field for at least 15 years and is now the president of IAS Laboratories. Her focus on soil and plants has held firm and she's earned a master's in agronomy through Iowa State and is in the process of obtaining her soil scientist and CPAG certification. Welcome to the show today, Sherry. Thank you for having me today. Absolutely. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? You bet. So uh, I've always had a passion for science. And uh -huh. so majority of the stuff I did as a child was usually in archaeology. And then it Ooh. progressed to ocean science. Mm -hmm. And now I focus on plant science and soil science, helping people and farmers to help grow more doing less. Nice. So, and you you grew up in San Diego? No, actually, I grew up in Mesa, and ah. I've been in Arizona for about forty years. But I went to school for my bachelor's degree in San Diego. Oh, nice, nice. So, and marine biology got you over there. Correct. Yeah. So I've always been interested in history and in archaeology and the Native Americans and their culture. And so in grade school, I used to do a lot of the archaeology site volunteering with the museums and such. Oh, and then nice. in high school, I took some geology and some biology and marine science courses. And so my focus changed towards the marine biology and a lot of the underwater uh -huh. archaeology from that respect that just evolved into what I'm doing now. Nice. Well, and that was always my interest. I actually started looking at marine biology at a very young age, and I too grew up here. I'm, you know, I'm a 50-year, you know, resident of Phoenix, Arizona, and so we're not that close to, you know, the ocean. So I, I actually learned how to scuba dive when I was 14, and I was really interested in marine biology. So how did you shift from marine biology to soil sciences? Well, I came back to Arizona because my husband was still in school and he was going to school in uh, ASU. Mm -hmm. And so I needed to find some sort of science work uh, in the Valley until he was able to graduate. And that's when I used my minor, which was environmental science and chemistry and biology in the environmental sector. And from there, it evolved into going into plant science and soil science. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to get a position where I am now studying under the prior owner and learning about soil and plants and how every farm, everyone's backyard is a different ecosystem and different environment. And a lot of people just say, you know, throw some fertilizer down or add a little bit extra water, but it's really more complicated and involved and plants communicate to us, but there was no one really able to speak for the plant. So it was learning about how are these plants communicating, how can we learn to read what they need to give them what they want and not just guess and do it wrong. Got it. That might be agronomy, right? Correct. And so agronomy is basically the science of soil and plants and the chemical reactions going on. It's the whole thing. You know, weather plays into play, the irrigation water, your soil, the plants, um, the chemistries that you're adding to the ground, the insects. Everything is playing a factor that's allowing these plants to grow and thrive or not thrive. And right. when they're not doing great, it's to find out why so we can help them. So you run IAS Labs. Correct. What is IAS Labs? 
We are a local mom-and-pop kind of agriculture laboratory. We are independent third party. We're not owned by a fertilizer company or a seed lab or anything, or a seed company, I should say. Um, we are privately owned, and what we do is we help those who need help. Um, if you are a big farmer mm-hmm. and you want to know what to put down for your crops so you don't waste your money in putting the wrong things down, you don't want to toxify your fields or make the plants deficient and not get your yields. We help you. If you have a garden and it's not growing like it used to be or your lawn is not doing well, we can test the soil and find out what's going on. Why are these plants not growing well? Mm-hmm. And we, we, other, we do other things too, you know, for um, nurseries and fertilizer companies and we do um, fingerprinting. But our real goal is to test the soil and plants so that these plants can grow in Arizona, especially when they're not meant to. Interesting. So you use the word fingerprinting. Correct. What does that mean? So a lot of times when you go and you purchase a compost or you purchase a fertilizer, on that bag is a code. It tells you how much nitrogen or phosphorus or iron or what happens to be in that blend of fertilizer. Mm -hmm. They have to make sure when they make that product that that product has that in there. If you have 20% nitrogen, that bag has to have 20% nitrogen. It can have 30 but must have at least 20% to meet the specs on their label. And so a lot of times when companies are doing their quality control or their research and development, they need to have things tested before they can apply for their labels and registrations. So a lot of times fingerprint the products for them ah, so they know if they're on target. Right. Wow. Interesting. You know, I never it never even occurred to me that they would have to have it tested, but it makes perfect sense. Right. And if they aren't meet their labels on their specs, they can get fined. Or if they want a certification in another state, they have to fill out their paperwork and prove my product has these components in it. My product does not have heavy metals in it. So we have to test for things like that so that when you do use these products, you're not going to cause harm to the environment or to yourself if you consume these plants. Right. What you're talking about right now, besides the heavy metals that you spoke about, what you're talking about are really macronutrients. Major and micros. And so if they put it on the bag, they have to make sure it it meets those specifications. Or even if they don't have it on the bag, if you're purchasing a compost from somewhere, you want to know how many pounds per thousand square feet or pounds per acre you need to put down in your field Mm -hmm. or your yard. If you don't know what's in it, how do you know how much to put down? Got it. So there's actually a science behind the dosing of fertilizers and your plant only needs you know 10 pounds of iron Uh you're not going to put two pounds of zinc down you need to make sure you put the right product and the right amount you don't want to toxify your fields Mm -hmm. or put the wrong thing down so what i hear you saying is one of the things that you do is you work with fertilizer companies to test the supplements they're they're selling you work with farmers to actually test the soil to see what's in it Correct. We also test the plants so that once, so what we'll do is we'll test the soil before they put the seeds in the ground, before they put the transplants in the ground. And we'll say, okay, before you put this cotton in, to get cotton growing, your plants have a certain requirement for germination and your field is lacking, you know, X, Y, and Z. So put in, you know, this amount of those elements down. 
And then while these plants are growing in the field, when they reach the different milestones, the different growth stages, oh. we'll take a specific leaf off the plant and we'll test the leaves and we'll let the plants tell us what it's hungry for. If your kid is, you know, allergic to carrots, you're not going to give them carrots, you're going to give them peas. It's the same thing with plants. If your plant has more than enough nitrogen, but zinc is holding your yields back, the plants can tell us by looking at the nutrients in the leaf, and then we can put down what the plant needs. So you don't waste your money putting uh -huh. the wrong thing down, and you don't lose yield. Wow. So I have been growing food here in Phoenix, Arizona for 42 years, and some of what you just shared with me, I never knew about. That we and get... that's why we're here, to yeah. let people know we can let the plants tell us what they need. And, you know, it changes yellow, it gets stunted, but it can do that for the same, many different elements. We don't yeah. know which one, and we don't want to add more fuel to the fire. Right, exactly. I do want to do a shout out. You said a local mom and pop. Yes, you are a local mom and pop here in Phoenix. And really anybody, if they can get you a sample, you can test it, right? Correct. We have our permits with APHIS. It's a government entity that allows us to get samples from everywhere in the globe except for Antarctica. So if you are oh, nice. in Mexico, if you're in Europe, you've got a home, you know, in Canada, if you need to have your soil tested, you let us know. I can email you the permits, uh -huh. and then you can ship them to us. Oh, all right. Perfect. Perfect. And that's uh, IASlabs.com. You can find them there, and we'll talk more about that in a bit. So our audience here at the Urban Farm Podcast is really urban farmers and, and home growers. And one of the things that I know, and you and I have talked many times over the past, I don't know, 10, probably 10 years about what to test for and what not to test for. And what I do know is that there are literally thousands of things that somebody could test for. And I want to know what the difference between what can be tested for and really what we should be testing for in a home garden is. What is that? So if you're having a home garden, the things that you want to test for are the nutrients that the plant's going to need to use. You've got the salts, your major nutrients, and your micronutrients. And so we do that in our complete soil test. We test the pH to make sure that it's not too high or too low because that pH will determine will the soil hold the nutrients hostage or will the soil the plants take it out of the ground? And then we also look at the overall salt content because as a lot of us know, if our ground gets too salty, our seeds don't germinate, our plants get stunted, they're deformed, and mm -hmm. we just don't get those vegetables that we really, really want. And then we look at the different salts because people hear salt and they go, oh, no, it's got salt. Salt is a good thing and it's a bad thing. Salt is just a positive charge ion. Mm -hmm. Calcium, magnesium, potassium, those are salts and they're good salts and we need them. Sodium it is an okay salt, but too much is a bad salt. And so we just want to make sure that that sodium is not too high. And potassium, like I mentioned, he's a little tricky. He's great, we need him, but too much and he becomes a bad salt. So we want to look at those to make sure, are there, is there enough and are they playing nice with each other? You could have adequate concentrations, but if they're not balancing each other, you're going to have problems. So we focus on those guys. And then we look at the nitrogen and the phosphorus because those are the two elements that these plants need. They need nitrogen to make proteins, all the metabolic activity in the plants. We look at phosphorus because phosphorus is needed to grow every single cell in that plant. It's mm -hmm. used for DNA. So no phosphorus, no flowers, no plant growth 
all they'll get is roots because plants are trying to find that stuff. Oh, yeah. And then we look at those micronutrients. Those micros, people forget about them, but they are like the building blocks behind those plants. They fill all the photosynthesis. They help with enzyme activity. So we look at all those things and so that the plants have a great growing environment. Some people might look at organic matter. Um, it's okay thing to look for, but in Arizona, we don't really have any, and it's not <laughs> going to be above one or two or four. Yeah. And so even if you put it in your, your garden, it's going to break down and disappear in a couple months. Um, we're not in the Midwest, but people still like to track it, and that's okay. Some people are concerned about heavy metals, and some people have a right to be concerned, but I would have to say about 99% of the time, we don't really find heavy metals in our soils that are available to our plants. Uh, the beautiful thing about Arizona soils is we have a high pH, which freaks people out. But what people don't realize is that high pH prevents those plants from uptaking those metals. It makes ah. them unavailable. Oh, and nice. so you can still test them if you're scared, right. just to give yourself a peace of mind. But majority of the time, um, we don't really find anything there high enough that would be considered toxic by EPA standards. Yeah. Wow. Well, I know one of the things that I tested for here at the Urban Farm, given it was, a, you know, the Urban Farm was built in 1948. Sure. Was lead. Because, yes. you know, the house was painted with lead paint way back then. So we wanted to do a lead test of the soil and, you know, it basically came back very low. So yes. are, are there any other things like that that somebody might want to... Um, lead, arsenic are the two big things that people like to look for. There are natural zinc and lead issues in Arizona. Mm -hmm. um, and so people will look for those. I don't recall ever finding uh, arsenic or lead that was toxic in the soil, but there are concerns for that. Mm -hmm. um, we actually would test lead arsenic more likely in, in water oh, because yes. we find it more in our water. And, and so if you're foliar feeding and things like that, and your kids run free in your garden eat, you might test it just, you know, for peace of mind and make sure your, your kids are okay. Or if you are having a garden, you sell your produce to friends and family or at the farmer's markets, you might test it just for peace of mind and make sure that you aren't going to get anyone sick. Yeah. But those are the more common ones that we find that people test for. Perfect. So I'm a home gardener and I want to do a soil test of the soil here. Do I just go out in the front yard and dig a hole and send you some of the dirt? That's a start, but you're going to have to do a little bit more than that. Okay. So if you just take soil from one hole, mm -hmm. that's just going to tell us what that one hole has in it. If someone happened to dump something there years ago or a fertilizer pellet landed there mm. or the dog did his business there, you're going to have bad numbers. So what we recommend people doing is go out to the area of concern and grab soil from six to eight different places. Just kind of randomly take it. Uh, we don't like the top inch of the ground. We take the next two to six inches of the ground, and you're going to gather soil from all those eight places and mix that up to make your one sample. Uh. So by subsampling the area, we have a better idea what's going on. That way, if there's an abnormality that pops up, it's going to be diluted to what the actual area is going to be truly like. Right. Put it in a Ziploc baggie, uh -huh. and you can mail it in or drop it off. Um, don't put it in a Cheez-It bag. Don't put it in a Gatorade bottle. Don't put it in a French fry bag. Um, <laughs> people do, but you will have bad numbers. So just a uh, clean plastic Ziploc bag is perfect. Great. So then I get it to you. How long does it take to process it? 
typically it is three days. Okay. Uh, we understand that plants aren't going to stop growing because there's a turnaround time. Oh, yeah. But we do need time to dry the water out of the sample, to sieve the rocks out, and do the test. Because mm-hmm. when we actually do the soil test, it's, it's not like CSI where I put in a machine and it tells me everything. We actually have to run the sample on six different tests oh, to wow. collaborate all the data together. Uh-huh. And then once we know that the the calibrations are correct, the QC is great, your numbers are, are accurate. We then have to compile the data together, and then we actually sit down and we review the data. We don't just hit a button and recommendations pop up. Um, I actually sit down on every single report and go through every single sample, and I look for are there toxicities, are there deficiencies, are the elements playing nice with each other, uh-huh. and if they're not, how do we fix this? And then I have to hand type this stuff up. And so it does take some time. That's pretty extensive. Well, we know that bad data is not a good thing. Right. That's what we have. We we want to make sure that we have a good product. Whether you're a homeowner and you want to make sure that you can provide healthy, safe food for mm-hmm. your kids wander or just for yourself, or if you're a farmer with a you know, $4 million line of credit, our sloppiness has to be not there. We need yeah. to make sure we have good integrity data so you can proceed with your daily operations. Cool. So one question I get a lot from new gardeners is, all right, I'm concerned about chemicals and pesticides in my space. What do I test for? You can test for that, but it gets expensive and it's not as easy as that. I mean, you're going to get my neighbor poison my yard. Well, that gets tricky because unless you know what chemical was put in your yard, Mm -hmm. it's hard to test for it because different herbicides, or you might call them chemistries, have different chemical structures. And so if they are designed chemically differently, then you have to extract them differently Mm -hmm. and you have to use nasty, harsh chemicals to do these processes. And so if you were to do general herbicide, pesticide, insecticide, termiticide scan, I think it's like 90 different compounds. It costs over $300. It takes 10 days to get it. And you can see on a general idea what you have. Mm -hmm. But that scan will not include things like diuron, you know, from Roundup because that's got a different chemistry background. And so that's a different extraction process that's going to cost you an additional two or $300 because of the chemicals and all the liability and all Mm -hmm. that stuff when they do that. And so it can get pretty expensive to test for herbicides if you're worried about that being in your ground. So what does somebody do then? Usually I would do the scan for 90 and see if anything's there, unless you know for sure Roundup is there because it's supposed to break down within three days and be gone. And that usually covers your bases. It's just you can test for so many things and just chase your tail and, you know, it costs several thousand dollars because that's what environmental labs charge to do these processes and and not find anything in your ground. Yeah. If if you're really worried if you have an herbicide present, try to grow something in the soil mm. after you know the soil's been amended properly. Yeah. And if it doesn't grow, then you probably have an herbicide. Um, <laughs> as long as if so if you do a complete soil test, you fix it, it still doesn't grow, you might have an herbicide. Yeah. If you do, you can add activated charcoal powder form. Oh, right. 10 pounds per 1,000 square feet, 6 inches of depth, and you got to till it in. you got to work it in 
and if that charcoal touches the herbicide, it'll absorb it. If oh. it's two sand grains away, it won't work. Won't work yeah. But that's pretty much the only way to get rid of any toxins um, from a chemical standpoint that could be in your yard. Yeah. Not oil and grease, but like herbicides yeah. and pesticides. And well, some of these chemistries are salt-based, so they might just watch out. You never oh, know. Oh, right, right. What I tell people to do is just add lots of organic matter. You can do that, too, because then you hopefully from the organic matter, the microbes and the biology and that introduced into your soil might be able to help fight and eat and consume and get rid of and yeah. break these materials down. Yeah. I don't know how long it'll take, but that is an option as well. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that fear, and what you might have learned from it. To me, when I fail in this industry, is I'm not able to help one of the clients to come to me. Uh, we are an agriculture lab. We try to have people here with a variety of different backgrounds, from environmental science to ecology to biochemistry to agronomists and, and things like that so that we can pull our knowledge together and solve problems. But when you don't have the answer and they just look at you or you can hear in the voice this the pure sound of disappointment, yeah. to me, I didn't do my job. Mm. I wasn't able to help them. And so we will actually you know, do internet searching and try to find people to help these people with questions because there's not many sources out there that can help them. And to me, not be able to solve a problem yeah. is a failure. When it sounds to me from our conversation today, plus our past conversations, that you're pretty good at what you do. Well, thank you. And and if you do have, you know, stumble upon something, you really get in and do the research about it. We try to. Um, I mean, we're not perfect. We're people too. But we know that, that plants are not easy to understand and read. We use science to find out what's going on with them. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't have that access to be able to do that. Yeah. And so we try to help them as much as they can because if you were to go to Environmental Lab or other places for help, they're going to charge an arm and a leg per hour just to help you. And then we don't do that to people. Yeah. Um, we try to be a resource to help them, not to gouge them. Perfect. So what do you consider your biggest success? To me, a success is being able to come from a non-farming background, mm -hmm. non-agricultural background, in an agriculture environment that is very male-dominant, and being able to now own and operate an agriculture laboratory and help a lot of these people in a male-dominant society be able to help them with their goals and their achievements and their livelihoods. Perfect. So what drives you? I like knowing the answer before anyone else does. <laughs> it kind of seems a little, little uh, selfish there, but when I see a soil sample or a plant sample and that person is trying to figure out what the heck's going on and I can look at it and I, I see the numbers, I see pictures, I see patterns, I see stories. Mm -hmm. And so I hear a lot of stories of, oh, I didn't apply anything, and I look at numbers, and I basically say, well, you have this, this, and this going on. What's go what happened? And then they'll confess, oh, yeah, I applied product X down and product Y down. And so being able to see what's going on and to help these plants not die and help these people get the plants to grow, that's what drives me, yeah. is just 
I won't want the plants to die. I mean, I get mad at my child when she picks a leaf off a plant. I make her tell the plant, sorry. (laughs) Plants are living creatures. Yes, they're not cute and fuzzy like a a dog, but they are living creatures. And try not to kill them. Yeah, very good. So I'm all about education. And I have to know, is there a book that's been influential for you in this process in your life? The main book that I really like that I go to as a good reference It's the old, very popular book, Nature and Properties of Soil by Neil Brady. I think they're on 13th or 14th edition. That book actually started out as a pamphlet for their back pocket decades ago. And now just over evolving and the knowledge that's been accumulated and with, you know, editors and sub-authors, it's now about, you know, a three-page textbook. And um, it's very knowledgeable and it's easy to read, well, for me to read. And it's a vast of knowledge that gives you information from all different growing environments. I have found it on Amazon, by the way. It's called The Nature and Properties of Soil. The 15th edition came out a year ago. And uh, they're not uh, inexpensive. It must be a textbook. It is a textbook. It's probably a couple hundred dollar textbook. I think I have the 13th or 14th edition um, at home. Yeah. But I've uh, I've used it for about four or five agriculture courses I've had to take, and I've used it in my, my thesis. It is actually a very good textbook. Nice. There's another textbook. It's Soil Properties textbook. It's brown cover. I can get you information later on that one. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I took that one as an undergrad intermediate course, and that's also very easy to read. Yeah. It's only an inch thick. It's smaller, and it's probably a lot cheaper. Yeah. Perfect. So what one final piece of advice you have for our listeners? When you do go plant your plants, make sure they're getting adequate lighting mm-hmm. and adequate watering. And they're Arizona-appropriate plants. Don't pull plants that aren't meant to live in Arizona and try to grow them. And when they are struggling, pay attention to them. See what they're hungry for. Don't guess because majority of the time we're wrong. Plants can grow well. You can grow plants. Majority of the time, it's the soil that they're in that's harming them. And if yeah. we can correct that, they'll just grow beautifully and provide you with a lot of joy. Yeah. So I just want to clarify something. For those of you that live in Arizona, you want to grow Arizona plants. Because the cool thing about podcasts is people can be listening all around the world on this. So, Yeah, wherever you live. I mean, the thing, my pet peeve, is people in Arizona grow queen palms. They're not meant for Arizona. (laughs) They don't get green, beautiful, lush. They don't get the gorgeous white flowers, and yet people grow them. Same with gardenias. Drives me nuts. (laughs) Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Sherry. It's been a treat getting to chat with you. Again, thank you so much for having me. It's been my pleasure. Absolutely. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? You can go on the website at uh, islabs.com, mm-hmm. or you can also just give us a jingle. Our phone number is 602-273-7248, and we'll be happy to answer your questions. We don't have you know, a secretary that answers your phones and transfers you. When you call us the laboratory here on the phone, we will have one of the scientists answer nice. or a business lab manager who's had much training and he does a lot yeah. of field sampling. We answer the phones. That way, we can get your questions answered quickly. That's IASlabs.com. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash IAS. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. 
Do you want to save money at the grocery store, eat more organic, whole foods, cultivate food security, and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food, and I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.